If you were here last week, we kicked off our new sermon series, Boundaries. I shared with you what I thought at the time was a pretty good and private metaphor um, that all of us, the need that all of us have for boundaries in our lives. The metaphor was what I told you that my neighbors uh, in, our, in our little cul-de-sac area referred to as the DMZ. You might remember it. It's the strip of yard that exists between where my fence kind of stands that I put up on my property line or inside of my property line, because that's where you set up a fence, right? And where my neighbor, who some years later put his fence up, he put his on his uh, side of the property line. And so here's a picture of, we looked at it last week, what's kind of resulted. Um, This strip of no man'sville, right? Uh, This awkward area, he didn't tie into my fence, I didn't tie into his. Uh, And instead, right, what we've got is this, what my neighbors called the demilitary zone, the demilitarized zone. As I said last week, where poor boundaries exist, where clear delineation of responsibilities that boundaries bring, where they're absent, chaos reigns. You can see that in the DMZ a little bit. It's chaos in there. Nobody knows whose it is, so nobody takes any responsibility for it. I mean, I I think it's his, he thinks it's mine, right? Nobody fertilizes it, nobody mows it. And as I I acknowledge you, I acknowledged you, I thought privately last week, I came clean on my sins, as you can tell by the ladder that's that's there. The DMC, because it's kind of a no man's land, there's there's no accurate boundaries drawn, it's become for me over the years a repository for things that I don't know what to do with. I came clean about those things last week. And I did so because I was fairly certain that my neighbor did not watch online. (laughs) Turns out, I was wrong. (laughs) I I kind of guessed that might have been the case when on Monday morning I noticed that some of the chickens that he has, which he used to keep on a coop on the other side of his yard, were suddenly just roaming free range in the DMZ area. Became more personal to me when at 4.49 on Tuesday morning, his rooster, which has now been relocated to the DMZ, began to cock, cock, cock-a-doodle-doo right under my bedroom window. So Tuesday night when I got home from work, full of the spirit of God as you are as a pastor when you've been at, at church all day, when I got home and I saw him out there just scattering chicken feed in the DMZ, to all of his foul friends, I went outside to say, hey, neighbor, What's up with the chickens? And he said, well, I was listening to your sermon on Sunday, and I figured since you feel like you can just dump anything in the DMZ, why shouldn't I? And it was right at that moment, as I was kind of frustrated, where I looked down and I noticed that that several of his pigeons, I mean um, chickens, um, they had dropped their eggs right on the side of my fence, on, on right, you know, my kind of side of the fence anyway. Now, here's the thing. I didn't realize, and the maturity level of this is low, I'll acknowledge, and it's about to get lower, (laughs) right? But his eggs, those eggs, let me correct that, those eggs were on my property. And so I said to him, well, I guess since these eggs are clearly on my property, these are my eggs now. I didn't realize how how important eggs are to all of you chicken people. (laughs) Because he got really upset when I claimed those eggs. He said, no, they're my chickens, so they're my eggs. You said on Sunday, nobody knows whose property this is anyway. And so we argued back and forth about this for longer than I'm proud of, when suddenly he proposed a solution. Remember he said in May when you did a talk on turning the other cheek? 
And immediately I thought to myself, man, this guy, how much does this guy have on me all, all, the, all these years? He goes, if you remember, you introduced a concept to your congregation called, or a concept called the Power Slap League. I don't know if anybody remembers that. The Power Slap League, and uh, I was showing you how, you know, um, Dana White from the UFC has created the Power Slap League, where your goal is to open, open hand slap somebody and uh, see how hard you can slap them. And he said, I propose, go get your noodle out of the, the shed that, you know, you hold behind your back, and you showed everybody how to do it. Let's just slap this out. <laughs> now, not one to back down. And frankly, I'm considerably bigger than he is. I thought to myself, all right, fine. So I went and got my noodle, and uh, I held it behind my back. This kid hit me so hard in the face. I thought Joan was going to find me passed out, knocked out in the DMZ later, later in the afternoon. I gathered myself. Now, I was, if I was mad before, now I'm really upset. Gathered myself together and said, that hurt. I said, but fine, my turn. And he looked and said, nah, you were right, forget it, it's only an egg. Walked away. <laughs> Last week, I left you with a question to wrestle with, and it was this, to examine the places in your life where there is chaos. By the way, that's a joke. Just nobody go home to my neighbor, oh, I heard you're fighting it out with John in the DMZ. <laughs> but this is what happens. When there is no boundaries, where there are no boundaries in our lives, chaos reigns. It could be relationally, right, which is what we're going to touch on today um, and probably next week. It could be in other places, too, where there are not good boundaries financially, emotionally, physically. I told you to go home and ask yourself a question. Do I actually have a chaos problem in these areas where I'm just kind of underwater, or do I actually have a boundary problem? What we looked at last week is that God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. And that order is kept because God is a God of boundaries. We saw, we examined that God had hardwired into creation itself boundaries and that they are there not because he is an angry God holding out on us, but because he is a loving God and they exist for our good. Boundaries, good, godly boundaries aren't punitive. They exist for our good and our health and our freedom. Last week, we spent some time looking at the proofs and the evidences of all of those truths in the scriptures. Now, many of us in the room, many of us, we struggle with boundaries. Really, we struggle maybe the most with emotional, or excuse me, relational boundaries. Because as followers of Jesus, many of us who have decided that he is who he said he is, and we want to walk, right, in his ways... We long to follow what the Apostle Paul referred to one time as the, as the law of Christ, to love God with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because we are to love others, heck, we're even to love our enemies the way Christ loved us, the way Jesus served us. Maybe, maybe even lay our lives down for another. And because that's the Jesus that we're trying to model our lives after, oftentimes, we struggle with having boundaries in relationships, even to the point of sometimes even wondering, is it even a Christian concept to, to put boundaries in place? And my answer to you is a resounding yes. If you have no relational boundaries in your life, your life is going to be filled with relational chaos. 
My answer is yes, not based only on what we discovered last week regarding how God used boundaries in creation and, and in our purpose for good. But today I want to go even further and show you how God himself through time and history, including a look at Jesus, how he lived, that even for Jesus relational boundaries exist. So let me get started. In the book of Genesis, this first book in the Bible, right, this book of origins, it tells us that in creation, after God had moved from chaos, right, where the spirit was just hovering over the waters, where God moves creation from chaos and disorder to what is ultimately described as the Garden of Eden. There, prior to the fall of man, before sin enters the garden, right, and enters man, God is as close to man as God can be. No relational distance between God and his creation. Quote, according to Genesis chapter 3, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. God is just walking around. And that closeness, that intimacy, that proximity to God was afforded to man because of man's sinless state, his sinless nature. There had been no violation of any boundaries, no trespasses, and therefore, because there were no violations of boundaries, there was no distance in the relationship and there were no consequences related to any trespass because none existed. Most of you know the story, though. There was only one boundary for man in the garden. Adam and Eve had great freedom it, afford, it was afforded to them um, to, to do anything, really, except for one thing, right? You could pretty much go anywhere. You can eat anything. You can rule over everything. Just don't do this one thing. Quote, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the, the, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There was a boundary given to Adam. It was essentially, right, a boundary that would provide him with freedom. He understood where he could go and what he could do. He wasn't worried about where he was going to step or what he was going to eat. The boundary, right, was for man to be responsible for what man was given to be responsible for, kind of his backyard, right, and not to assume responsibility for something somebody else was responsible for, in this case, for what God was responsible for, which was determining what is good and what is evil. And the boundary, of course, as I read to you, had a, a, a significant consequence attached to it. Not only physical death, not only physical death, but distance, access to God as a result of this trespass, this boundary violation diminished. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, because that's now where we are, right? So we are removed from the presence of God as a result of that trespass. And a pattern begins to become established in the scriptures. Man and boundaries, uh, between God and man and boundaries, begins to get established. One that you're going to see throughout the entirety of scripture. As I mentioned last week in, in, in preparation for this series, I'm going to be highlighting for you a couple of key source books. One is the classic work on boundaries, creatively titled Boundaries by uh, John Ma Maxwell and John Townsend. It has sold four million copies. And another more recent book, which, which has got some fascinating material in it, by Lisa Turkhurst called Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. That's a better title. And in her book, she does a great job of pointing this pattern out. 
This pattern that she's identified regarding boundaries was access, responsibility, consequences. Access, responsibility, consequences. In the garden, great access to God is afforded. And man had responsibilities to uphold. They didn't uphold the responsibilities, and the consequences came into play. Those consequences included the diminishment of access. God never abandons his people, but he's no longer walking with them. I haven't spotted God walking, you know, through Chester recently. He's not walking with them in the cool of the garden anymore. We talked about this last week. As time goes by east of Eden, chaos continues to grow. Sin is metastasizing in the world. You even see it in the lifespan of the people, right? In the second generation of human beings, Adam and Eve's son Cain, he murders his brother Abel. And anybody know what the consequences were for Cain for that trespass? Here, here they are from his own words. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. Trespass, violation, results in reduced access, distance. In fact, things get so bad, fast forward to the seventh generation, a guy named Lamech, he now has two wives. I want you to remember the intimacy in which God created Adam and Eve for them to share. Now this guy, Lamech, he no longer just shares intimacy with one woman. He's collecting them like charms. We know that because the two names of those women in Hebrew, they translate to ornament and shadow. This is what's going on by the seventh generation, right? This is what man is beginning to do to women. Sin is rapid, rampantly increasing. Lamech actually brags to his two wives that he thought were his possessions. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. It became like a braggadocious thing now. What you see in the scriptures is, as you study the, the metastasizing of sin, what you begin to see is two things. The first is this growing distance of God. Some theologians actually uh, equate this to what you see at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, the last prophet, after God's words to Malachi, God doesn't speak to human beings for over 400 years. You see distance, and you see boundaries. Because as the dysfunction grows, so too do the boundaries that God is placing on his people, not to punish them. God is not creating boundaries to punish man, but for their good. But the boundaries grow, you know this, from one in the garden to, to Moses gets 10. By the time Malachi is on the scene, it's grown to over 600. Some of you know the arc of the Old Testament story. Right in the height, in some sense, of the distance when, when God decided to reestablish his relationship with man. He did so through a man named Abraham and a chosen people he would father. And the people would eventually become a nation. And that people and those nations had very distinct boundaries in terms of where they went, what they ate, how they dressed. And because of their increased access to God, now this chosen people of God now has an increased access to God. He was present with them. Initially, if you know the story of the Old Testament, initially God was with his people in something called the tabernacle. It was kind of a portable temple. And then in the temple in Israel itself. And because of that access to God that they had that other nations didn't, the people of that nation had increased responsibilities. 
placed upon them by God. And as a result, when they violated those things, there were subsequent consequences for those boundary violations. You see this over and over and over and over. I'll give you just a couple of them. Here's the prophet Jeremiah, God speaking through the prophet. But I gave them this command, obey me and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. Boundaries, consequence. From the prophet Isaiah, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat good things of the land, but if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Access, responsibility, boundaries, consequences. You even see it in the design of the temple. I think Lisa Turkhurst does a great job of this. The place where God's presence dwells in Jerusalem, right? Boundaries exist from court to court, from the outside of the temple to the inside of the temple. The innermost place, right, where God's presence dwelled was a place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. As access grew, as you were permitted to move court to court, your responsibilities as you moved closer to God increased, and so did the consequences. The closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the more responsibilities you bore, the more that, that, that was placed on you. The temple, for example, if you, if you know it, the temple had an outer court. It's called the court of the Gentiles. You didn't even need to be Jewish to be in the court of the Gentiles. But the innermost place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, right? Only the high priest of Israel could go in there. And it was only on one day a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for, uh, of atonement for all of the sins of all of the people for that year. The high priest of Israel, he had to come from a certain family line. He, he had of all of these ritual disciplines that he, he was required to undergo, even down to his specific his washing, his ceremonial washing, even down to his dress when he entered the place. Special clothes were worn just for the annual occasion that the priest then, when, when he had made atonement for the sins, was to ceremonially fold them so that they'd be ready again for next, next year. The consequence for entering into the Holy of Holies of getting that kind of access to God without living up to the responsibilities of the access, they were as severe as the access was supreme. There's, there's a lot of um, uh, extra biblical material that says when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he would actually have a, a, a rope tied to his leg in case he died in there. Access, responsibilities, boundaries, and consequences. What's the point? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you give innermost access to? Who gets to be really, really near and close in terms of your time, your money, your heart, your emotional energy, your physical, your physical capacities? Does everybody, does everybody, this is a serious question, does everybody just get equal access? Does everybody just get whatever they want in regards to relationships with you? Nobody has any, any differing expectations. You expect the same thing out of everybody that enters your life. Do you have any boundaries for anybody, anywhere, or is your life a free-for-all, specifically relationally? One of the talks from last year, as I was working on this, I realized one of the talks I gave last year had to do with boundaries, and I think it's what, what had so many of you come to me and ask, well, aren't there any boundaries, right? I talked about the power of relationships and the power that relationships hold in our lives. And the writers of the scripture recognize the, re the relationships of your lives have the power to literally change you. If you were with us this summer, right, we, we looked at 
um, what we called one of the, or what's called one of the wisdom books in the Bible, the book of Proverbs, written by what is commonly cited as the wisest man to have ever lived, Solomon, writing to his son. And to his son, he lays out specific relational boundaries. Let me, let me show you a couple. I think they're interesting. Walk with the wise, Solomon told his son, and you'll become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Before you draw people into the inner circle where you're literally walking with them, you want to be wise. Notice Solomon did not say you study to get wise, you read to get wise, you go to the right schools to get wise, you go to the right universities to get wise. No, no, he's saying, son, listen, I'm telling you, there's something that will have more impact on your life than any of those other things. Watch who you walk with. If you were here when I gave this sermon, there, there's actually now medical proof that your brain actually changes based on who you spend time with in your life. That's how powerful relationships were. A companion of fools doesn't just, does not just, he doesn't just say you become a fool. He says you suffer harm. You will be impacted. In fact, again, 700 B.C., this this is written. Solomon doubles down on it to his son because he knows it's that important. He loves his kid. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered or what? You may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Set the boundary now. Before you get into the mess, right, and you go, how do I get out of this? When you see that this is true in somebody's life, you create a little boundary and say, okay, access to me is going to be limited because of the way you live your life. Now, some of you may say, well, that seems a little judgmental. Kind of Old Testament, don't you think, John? True. I could see why you'd say that, but here's what Paul said in the New Testament. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, don't be fooled. Don't, don't think it's not going to matter. Don't be the kind of person that goes, ah, it doesn't matter who I let in. It doesn't matter. I just, you know, I'll, I'll be good friends with everybody. Everybody is welcome. This is, I think this is why I haven't been to Laura's home, actually. She's been following these principles over, over these many years. I'm just going to let anybody in. Paul says, you're kidding yourself. And it's not just behavioral. The science teaches it's changing you. In fact, you actually see this, compla- uh, this concept played out in the life of Jesus. Jesus has levels of proximity that he affords different people, those who are close and those who are closer. He, was, he excludes no one, but he was the friend of sinners. Tax collectors and prostitutes loved him. But there were only 72 men that he sent out to be his representatives, and only 12 were disciples that he formed, right, that he walked with in his ways. And then of those disciples, there was only three, Peter, James, and John, that he took to pray with him on the night he was crucified. Proximity in relationships matters. You have to watch who you bring close. It's going to impact your life. This is why, as it's been said, there are square dances, and then there are row dances, and then there are slow dances. It is a proximity issue. Pick your partners wisely. But is there a way, I'm in a relationship, as I said last week, if, if you're not in one dysfunctional relationship, you look around every relationship you're in and go, everyone is, is functional, you might be the dysfunctional person that's unaware of all of the dysfunction you're causing in everybody else's relationship, right? Is there a way to determine those boundaries? And the answer is yes, based on that model, access, responsibility, consequences. I, I'm going to draw you a little picture here that's helped me understand it this week. Um, 
I, I emailed you in the email this week. I called it the, the universal functional crazy relational matrix. You have two, two axes here, right? This is going to be your responsibility access. This is how responsible people are, right? Hopefully everybody can see this. This is how responsible you are from a 10, right? 9, 8. You get it, right? And then we'll have our zero here. And this is going to be the access. Access. Try saying that. Right? So you're going to have 1, 2, out to 10 here. Now, based on the scriptures, there is a certain amount of people, right? I don't know what number you want to call it, but let's just call it, for, for example, people that have a responsibility level of a three. You, you don't want to grant them very much access at all. The scriptures are, I mean, it's not like you're going to exclude them, but you're going to understand what you, who they are, right? There, there's all kinds of verses on this. We just read some of the, of the Proverbs, right? Um, these are, are the fools that we talked about this summer. The bad company that corrupts. The hot-tempered. Paul wrote to, wrote to Silas. He said, have nothing to do with people that stir up division. Paul said, stay away from people who, 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 who um, are involved in the fruitless deeds of the dark. There's a level of people where you just go, I'm, you know, it's not that I'm not going to love that person, but I am not going to allow that person access to all of my emotional energy, my heart, my finances, and all the rest, right? But what there is, when a relationship is balanced correctly, is there is a relationship, direct relationship, a one-to-one -one correlation between responsibility and access. Responsibility and access. Let me give you an example, right? Say you are, uh, say kind of on, on the span of people in your lives, right, there's, there's somebody that you're giving kind of five-level access. They're kind of in the middle of, of, of your heart and your time and your money, whatever you want to make this, right? But they function at a four-level, right? So they would be here, right? Their line is going to be here. And so you see this area right here? That's the DMZ. That's the chaos, right? That, that's the area where you go, huh, this is kind of a little bit like dysfunction junction in here. Now, stick with me. What happens, and a lot of us have this going on, and sometimes it's because, you know, we're born into these relationships, right? Or we marry into these relationships. Some of us are giving 10-level access, right, to people with four-level responsibilities with that access, right? And so what, what is that level of dysfunction? It's massive. We got all this pain in our lives. It's always a mess with them, right? They're always, they're always just making a mess of your life, your time. Now, I'm not, I'm not you know, this is actually an interesting one, right? All this space up here. This is, this is like the people that you want to kind of move, you want to give more access to. These are the people that you meet. This is like, you know, the staff at Mendham Hills, right? They're, they're, I didn't mean me. I meant, what I meant is like the staff here is so amazing in my relationship with them. I grow in confidence with them all the time. I, I'm always giving them more access. I, I, I check in on them less and less. Like they're, they're just amazing, wonderful people. These are the people that, that are up here above this relational line, right, that are showing you, let me act, let me into your life. Let me closer to you, right? This, this is the places where you're going, huh, 
This is a mess. Now, here's how I know you know this. Betsy, would you hand me uh, my, my phone right there? Oh, thank you, Laura. Um, I'm going to take my pin card out here. You got a pen, if you've got a pen, it's in front of me. I'm going to read you this number. Ready? 4129-2194-1257-9219. And uh, my access code is uh, 1492. That's when Columbus sailed the ocean blue, so I can remember it. So you, you all have my... <laughs> Sue just looked at me like this. I love you all. I want you to know that. And there, I love all of you watching online, too. That is not my debit card, nor is that my PIN code. The only person that has my debit card and my PIN code is my wife, right? Why? Because she's proven over time that she has the most responsibility in terms of, uh, of our relationship, right? She's it. Now, are there other people that could have it? Well, not here, but, but maybe, like, at, you know. My kids, some of them, could probably, have, uh, could probably have access to it. You're aware of how this works, right? But the fact, right, the fact is I wouldn't read it online. I wouldn't just give it out to everyone in the room today. Let me ask you a question. Does the fact that I won't read that out loud, does the fact that I won't give you my debit card and PIN card offend you? No. You wouldn't expect it, right? Does it make me unchristian? Oh, what kind of Jesus follower are you? You won't give everybody your PIN code? Guess you don't trust the Lord, brother. Does it make me, you know, mean-spirited, selfish? No. See, here's what you know already in certain areas of your life, right? You know that if I give that access out, all of my to, it gives access to all of my money. What's going to happen if I give that to the wrong person? They're going to take my money, and I am going to become what? Broke. Bankrupt. Right? Here's why. You understand it with financial capacity. Access ties to capacity. I have limp. All of us, you are not God. You have limited capacities in every area of your life. If I just give out my PIN code and my debit card to everybody, I don't have unlimited access to money. I'm going to wind up broke. If I don't protect it, I'm going to have a big problem. And so what do I have to do? What do I have to do in all areas of my life? I have to do what I do with my PIN code, right? See, you have to understand, you... You are not God. You have limited access. You have to protect that access. I don't give out my bank records. I don't give out my tax returns. I don't give out my social security number. Why? You don't either. You set boundaries. You limit access. You create distance. So how do you, so you know how to do this with your bank account. You protect your money. Here's the thing about money. If you really want to follow this, that's interesting. I was thinking about it this morning. I can go get more money. I could get a second job, right? In fact, if you were to steal my access to my accounts, I could call Capital One and say, hey, you know, my card got hacked, and Capital One would likely put the money back in my account. But what about your time? Can you make any more time? Anybody going to put that back? What about your energy? What about, how about your heart? How about your heart? 
You have, and likely more than once, right? Because you, you've, you've got a dysfunction junction in your life. How about your heart getting trampled on? How many of us have given our hearts away, have not protected our hearts? Remember what Solomon said to his son, above all else, protect, guard your heart. We guard our pin codes. You would, see, you'd never give your pin code away. But your heart, like anybody, can just have access to it. But you only get, get one. Nobody's coming to give you a second one. Don't you understand that you have only so much emotional and spiritual and mental and physical and financial capacity? And when we just give them away and let everybody have free access to it day after day, and you constantly live in these crazy zones, right, with no boundaries, dysfunction junction, and you're wondering, oh, I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? Why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? The cure? Pin codes. Boundaries. Nobody thinks I'm selfish because I have a pin code on my debit card. None of you do. None of you said, boy, what a jerk. You get it. I have limited funds. I need to protect them. The reason I have a pin code, right, it's not hurting you. I don't put a pin card, I don't put a boundary on my finances because I'm trying to hurt you. Do you see that? This is not about hurting anybody. The boundary is not about hurting you or our relationship. The boundary on my PIN code is to protect me and ultimately to protect our relationship because if you take all my money, it's going to suffer. Boundaries are for our good. They are life-giving and sustaining. That's why God is a God of boundaries. Same with us. If and when we get ourselves in relationships, we're giving 10-level access to our limited capacities, and we're giving it to people who have demonstrated over and over four-level responsibility, you're not setting boundaries on them to hurt them, right? See, a lot of times we screw this up. We're like, oh, this guy, this guy is a level four, so I'm going to put a boundary on him and try to get him to a level 10. I'm going I'm to show him and get him so upset that he'll move. That's not, that's not the right way to think about this. These boundaries are not about others. They're about us. Good and godly stewardship of our resources, not just our, our, our finances, our time, our energy, our feelings, our emotions, our efforts, our hearts. Boundaries, right, are protecting and stewarding what God has given us to be used for God in the building of his kingdom in our lives and in our homes and, and in our towns and in our workplaces. Many times, right, we're not placing boundaries on others. Many times, especially in our relationships, just like with a good budget, we need to put a boundary on ourselves. I have to stop doing that. And we're going to pick this up next week. But what you're going to see with God and, and what we need to begin to replicate in our own lives are not just good boundaries because we're good stewards, but boundaries whose violations carry consequences. And those consequences, especially when, that when, violate, when relational boundaries are violated, likely mean reduced access, incremental distance. And why? Ultimately for the good of the relationship, to get it out of the crazy zone and back into a place of balance. I think this is cool stuff. As I was studying it this week, I'm like, it's pretty cool. Gives me a sense of hope, a little bit of, of a sense of freedom, right? When I, when I see how God uses boundaries in creation and in purpose and in relationships, I, I see how he uses them to bring order out of chaos in the world, and, and he encourages us to use them to bring order out of chaos in our lives. When I consider these things and what it might mean for my life to master the art of boundaries, to, to give my best yes to the things that deserve my yes, and to learn to, to put boundaries on, on things that, that need boundaries... 
how life-giving they are. It made me think about Jesus and what he said. He said, why he said he came. It's interesting. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly, not chaotically. I did not come that you would have chaos reign in your life. I came that you would have life and you'd have it abundantly. And then I, I thought back to the example of Jesus and how in the New Testament, do you know he's referred to the New Testament often as, as our high priest, especially by the author of the, the book Hebrews in the New Testament. We talked about the high priest in Access a minute ago, right? Check this out. Um, the writer of Hebrews wrote that for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He goes on to explain this more clearly. He goes, he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Friends, I want you to think about this. This was exciting for me when I thought about it. Jesus, our high priest, who made atonement for us, not with the blood of a lamb and an annual ritual, but the high priest who makes atonement for us before God eternally, forever, once and for all, he goes in with his own blood, not, not the sacrificial blood of a, a lamb or a goat. He goes in as the lamb of God. Think about what Jesus did. He fulfilled all of the responsibilities given to him by the Father. He, he was a 10 on the chart. He lived a perfect life. But because we've failed over and over again in time and space and throughout history to fulfill most, if not all, of the responsibilities we were given. It, see, don't you see, it should have been our access to God that, that was limited and cut off. It should have been our access to God that was denied. That would have been right and just. But instead, the consequences do all of the boundaries we've broken are placed by God willingly on the Son. And, and for one moment in time, think about it, for one moment in time, the distance from God, our boundary crossing, right? That's what sin is at its heart. It's our boundary crossing. Crossing the boundaries laid out by God. All of those consequences and separation from God that was due us is placed on Jesus at the cross. And at that moment of greatest distance, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experiencing all the distance from God, our repeated boundary crossing was due. Taking the consequences of our sin, even unto death. But here's what history proves. The first-hand record of multitudes of eyewitnesses, uh, they write, three days later, Jesus, our high priest, stood up in his grave, and he took off those high priestly garments, his burial clothes, and he didn't just leave them on the ground. No, he folded them just as the priest did year after year, and he placed them back down where he lay, and he walked out of the cave, the most holy of places, because once and for all, the sin of all mankind, the trespass trespasses and transgressions of all of mankind for all have of time had been atoned for once and for all. And he did that. The one with unlimited capacity. He did that so that you and I of limited capacity might have life and we might have it abundantly. And I think our hope and our prayer should be that we steward with good boundaries the one and only life that he's given us, that we steward it well. Our hearts, our minds, our time, our finances, our emotions, that we steward them well and faithfully. Let's stand and close in song.